Today, we as a congregation, we find ourselves in, a, in an exciting season, a pivotal season. Um, God's been gracious to us. God has been good to us. God has, has just done more in us and to us and through us than we could ever deserve. Uh, we're seeing uh, people of all ages over, the, over this year or over the last few years, we've seen people of all ages come to know Jesus and come to connect with Jesus, follow Him in baptism, connect with our church family. Um, we, uh, we're seeing people connect in life groups and and, uh, and, and doing life together, uh, connecting mission by serving our church, serving our community, serve our world, uh, serving from kids' ministry and student ministry here to the shop, to Kurdistan, to, uh, to uh, Rwanda, from Brazoria to Belize. Um, God's been good to us. And uh, we're in a season of, of seeking we've been and we're continuing in the season of seeking how to most effectively and healthily, um, uh, be the church, and biblically, be the church that God's called us to be. Um, not just how to, how to do church, but be the church in this time and God, in this place that God's called us to be. How to effectively be His witnesses in Sweetwater and to the ends of the earth. And so I think it's fitting and it's timely that we would walk through the book of Acts together, which tells the story of the early church. Um, so as we move forward together in the study, but, but as we move forward together in life, um, will we view ourselves as a cruise ship um, or as a battleship? Do we exist to serve ourselves? Do we exist to meet our own needs? Do we exist to pat ourselves in the back and be comfortable? Or do we exist for the glory of God and for the good of others? Um, the Scripture's clear, but which will we choose? Um, so Acts is the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. Luke wrote Luke and Luke wrote Acts. And, uh, and, and, and Luke was an educated man. He was a physician, a historian, and he traveled with Paul on missions and missionary journeys. And, and Luke also collected eyewitness accounts, interviewed did eyewitness accounts from, from people that knew Jesus, eyewitnesses of Jesus firsthand. And, uh, and so he wrote uh, his Gospel of Luke to demonstrate how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament story. In Luke 1, 1, he talks about everything that Jesus accomplished. And then uh, the, the verse we read earlier at the end of Luke 24, he talked about everything that's been accomplished or fulfilled in Jesus. The Gospel of Luke demonstrates that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament story. Uh, and now in, in, um, in Acts, Luke's going to write how, how the story continues to unfold, how God's big story continues to unfold. Even though Christ is risen and Christ has ascended to the right hand of the Father, here's how the big story God's been telling in the Old Testament and in the gospel, and, and, and now how the big story continues to unfold through the risen king's spirit-empowered uh, people. So as we think about a sequel, we think about what, you know, some sequels, if, if we're talking about movies for a minute, um, which I know most of us in here don't watch movies because we're too busy praying and, and reading the Bible, but if, if, if you did watch a movie, um, you know, we've seen some sequels, some sequels are good, right? Some sequels are, are, are excellent, and some are really bad. And so, what's an example of, a, of some good sequels? What's a good sequel? I'm sorry, it sounded like you said Harry Potter. I think that got, belongs in the bad sequel category. Okay, some people would view that Harry Potter sequels are good. What's another good sequel? Do what? Ace Ventura 2. This is really, man... How many Oscars did that one win again? I don't remember how many. Okay, another, another, this, it's a, okay. So yeah, When Nature Calls, Ace Ventura 2. What's another good sequel? Lene, The Godfather Part 2, yes sir? 
Rocky. That w- that came up in the in the in the first uh, in the in the first ser- uh, series uh, service. The the Rocky uh, sequels. Um, who? Star Wars. Yeah, Empire Strikes Back. Incredible sequel. Okay, what about bad sequels? Sequels that shouldn't have been made. Okay. Okay. Probably any of the Jaws sequels probably probably shouldn't have been made, right? Okay. Tremors, yeah. Okay. Probably the original didn't even need to be made on that one, but yeah. Okay. Any any Matrix uh, sequel? Okay. So there's there's good sequels. There's bad sequels. Um, and and a good sequel has continuity with the original. Um, but carries the story forward in fresh and unexpected ways. That's a mark of a good sequel. There's continuity with the original story, but it carries the narrative, it carries the drama forward in fresh and unexpected ways. And that's exactly what we're going to see happen in, in, in Acts. There's continuity with the kingdom ministry Jesus has had all along, but the story has moved forward in these fresh and exciting ways. Because at the beginning of Acts, we've got a problem. Christ is ascending. How in the world are we going to keep doing kingdom ministry? How are we going to do Christ's ministry if he's not holding us physically by the hand? How are we going to do it? That's the problem. And, and the answer is that God's big story is going to continue to, uh, to unfold, but it's going to do so through the risen king's spirit-empowered people. So Acts chapter 1, verse 1, Luke writes, In the first book, O Theophilus, now Theophilus, who's, who he addressed the, uh, Luke to and, and Acts to, um, maybe Theophilus is kind of funding some of Luke's adventures. Maybe Theophilus is a, is a skeptic that Luke is, is, is wanting to share the gospel with. But, but he dedicates Luke and, and Acts to Theophilus. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So in the first book, I talked about everything Jesus be, in, in Luke's gospel. I talked about everything that... Jesus began to do and teach. And so the implication here is that Acts is about the continuing work of Jesus, kind of like another great sequel, TV sequel, Star Trek, The Next Generation. You know, there's, uh, there's a continuing mission, okay? And the mission has continuity with the first, but man, it's expanded and it's broadened. There's this continuing mission. So in the first book, he wrote about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, this is really important. We're going to circle back to this. Jesus spends 40 days after his resurrection, spending time appearing to his disciples, not as a ghost, not as Casper, but as a real bodily resurrected man. And he's talking to them. And of all the things Jesus could have been talking to them about, what's he talking to them about? The kingdom of God. And we'll circle back to why that's important in a minute. And while verse 4, staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Don't we love when Jesus tells us to wait, by the way? How how good are we at that? He says, wait for uh, the promise of the Father. What's the promise of the Father? He said, it's the promise you heard of from me, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he takes us back to John's, uh, John the Baptist ministry, and John the Baptist immersed people in water, um, And they were overwhelmed by, covered by, uh, surrounded by water. And Jesus says, but I'm going to overwhelm you with, cover you by, immerse you in the Holy Spirit. That's the promise of the Father. He says, wait and ask for it. 
So verse 6, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who has taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. All right. So there's this overlap between the end of Luke's gospel and the beginning of Acts. In both, Jesus tells the disciples, wait for the promise of the Father. At the end of Luke, he words it that the Father is going to clothe you with power from on high. Here he talks about it as the promise of the Father, the baptism or being immersed in the Spirit of God. So uh, the resurrected King Jesus spends these 40 days appearing to his disciples, and there's a problem. How in the world are we going to do kingdom ministry unless the king is right here with us? And Jesus shares with them uh, the topic of his conversation uh, with them over this 40 days we see in verse 3 is he's talking about the kingdom of God. Um, and he's unpacking for them, man, here's, here's how kingdom ministry is going to continue. But let's uh, it's not an accident that of all the things Jesus could be talking to the disciples about, he's talking about the kingdom of God. If we remember from Luke and from the other Gospels, the kingdom of God is the main and central teaching of Jesus. This is what Jesus talks about more than anything else. He talks about the kingdom of God. But if, if we're like the disciples, uh, and, and we've seen this unthinkable happen, the Messiah was crucified, and then the unthinkable happens again, he was resurrected, and now the unthinkable happens, he ascends into heaven, like I would be thinking, you know, Jesus is the king, and he's been talking about the kingdom of God, and he's been teaching us to be people who pray, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. He's been teaching us that in the kingdom, God's kingdom, things are different, but how in the world can we, can we do kingdom work if the king isn't physically right here with us? So uh, Jesus has taught, again, to be people who pray, let your kingdom come. Uh, throughout the Gospels, we see that when God's kingdom comes near to people, people's lives are changed. Man, when God's kingdom rule comes near to people, people were healed, people were transformed, people never wanted to be the same again. Addictions break off of people, chains break off of people, demonic people get set free. I mean, amazing things happen when the kingdom of God comes near to people. God's kingdom is where things happen God's way. It's where God acknowledges king. It's where, where his rule and his reign is. And the whole message of Jesus, the central message of Jesus, is that in him, in his coming to us, he's brought God's kingdom near to us. We can be part of what God's doing now and forever. But it looks like, I mean, if the king is going uh, to, to ascend into heaven, it looks like kingdom work is over. But he's talking to the disciples about the kingdom of God, and then he's going to tell them that I'm going to send the promise of the Father to you, and you're going to be my witnesses. Kingdom ministry doesn't end with Jesus' ascension. Kingdom ministry enters a new phase. Because in Jesus' incarnation here, he was in one place at a time. But what he's going to do is he's going to send to his father. And he's going to send his spirit to overcome and overwhelm his disciples. And now the spirit of God is everywhere. The spirit of God covers uh, this world and God's people are everywhere. And the story is going to move forward through God's spirit-empowered people. Acts is bookended with references to the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 1, Jesus is talking to the disciples about the kingdom of God. And then in Acts chapter 28, the very end of Acts 28... We see Paul, and he's in Rome, and he's under house arrest, and he's got people coming and talking to him every day, and he's talking to them about uh, the person of Jesus Christ, 
And he's talking to them about the kingdom of God. And everything we see in between Acts 1 and Acts 28 is we see what it looks like for, for God's kingdom rule to move forward through God's spirit-empowered people. All right? And so the king now rules from heaven, and he works through his spirit and his spirit-filled people. So in this sequel that we're living in, Jesus is the director. And he's ruling from his throne in heaven. And he's calling on each of us, not just to come and watch the movie, but he's calling on to each one of us to step into our role in the drama. Imagine if Steven Spielberg calls you and said, I'm, st- I'm, I'm, I'm working on a new film project, uh, Travis. Uh, will you be, uh, you know, will you, will you be in this movie? Will you take a role in this movie? Um, I mean, most of us probably wouldn't think about that. We'd say, yeah, I'd love to work for Steven Spielberg. And the king of the universe is writing this story. And he is sitting on his throne. And he has invited each and every one of us in this, in this room, not to be the star of the show, but to play a role. To play a role that he has called and marked out for us. God's big story continues to unfold through the risen king's spirit empowered people. So an accurate name for the book of Acts would be the Acts of King Jesus through the church by the power of God's Spirit. That's a lot of words, so we can just call it Acts. But if we really want to grasp what this book is communicating, a a, a really accurate name would be the Acts of King Jesus. Because what happens in Acts is still happening through the rule and reign of King Jesus. It's the Acts of King Jesus through the church by the power of God's Spirit. So not only does kingdom ministry continue after Jesus' ascension, and we're going to talk next week about the ascension, about that doctrine, and what does it mean that Jesus is seated at the right end of the Father? What's it matter? What's the point of all that? Because it's something we don't talk about a lot. But um, the kingdom ministry continues. Not only that, the church's witness continues. Uh, In the beginning of his gospel, John wrote, that we beheld his glory. Talking about Jesus, John said, we saw his glory. We saw the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And for John, and for much of the New Testament, that's what it means to be a disciple. That's what it means to be the people of God. To be the church is to be people who've just been captivated by the person of Jesus Christ. The church is a people that God has shown his glory to. The, the church is a people that God has shown his glory to, kind of like Isaiah back in Isaiah chapter 6, and Isaiah sees the glory. I mean, has there been a, a moment kind of like that in your life where, man, you kind of the clouds part and the fog lifts, and you see a, a glimpse of God for who he really is, and you're like, wow, I, I'm not worthy. <laughs> like we are just saying, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve this. I, 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 don't, I haven't earned it, but man, I want to be around him. I want to be part of what God's doing, and Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and the, the angel comes and takes the coal off the the altar and purifies his lips and and there's this moment i hope there's been moments where we've caught a glimpse of the glory of god and that's what it means to be the church the church is a people that god has shown his glory to they've been captivated by his glory but not only that the church is a people that god shows his glory through and that's what it's going to mean to be his witnesses um god doesn't just he wants to show his glory to us But he's also called you and I to be a people who are the vehicle for God's glory. That he wants to demonstrate his glory through. The the, the world around us says, man, I don't know what's going on with that person, but I knew them before. And wow, God must be doing something because I see it in this person's face. I see it in their changed life. I see it in their addictions that's been broken. 
The church is the people that God has shown His glory to and it shows His glory through. And we're going to see both of these dimensions in Acts. And so I just ask you, how has God shown you His glory? How has He shown His glory to you? And how is He showing His glory through you? And if you're like in a life group or there's some believers, some Christian friends that, that you're walking closely with and we, we all need community with people, I just urge you to ask them, how do you see God's glory working through me? Um, we talked about in the first service, you know, if they say, well, we don't see that at all, then either maybe you need some less critical friends or, um, or maybe, there's, maybe there's room for repentance in your life. And, and maybe you say, wow, you know, I, I'm, I'm off track. Um, but guys, think about that and ask people that are close to you, how is the glory of God shining through my life? And I guarantee you the glory of God is shining through your, your life in ways you don't even know about. But we've got to fan that flame, okay? So when we think about church, yeah, it's this, peop- it's this people that are, are, are God, have seen God's glory and God's demonstrating His glory too. But when most of us think about church, you might have a memory kind of like me sitting in maybe VBS in a, like a metal folding chair and, and you're drinking the same like watered-down Kool-Aid that every church uh, uh, serves, you know, and, and we, we learn this. Here's the church, right? Here's the steeple. Open the doors and there's all the people, right? Um, and so what do we communicate in that? What's the church in that image? What do we indoctrinate young people to believe? The church is a building, right? The church is a structure and most of us probably this morning said let's go to church or we're late for church but the reality is um the reality is we didn't church isn't a destination that we go to it's not a building it is the people this is a building the people are the church right and the well, well duh i know that but that but that's not how our language Uh, That's not what our language often reveals we think. We often think about the church as the structure. But in Acts, in the New Testament, the church is this people that's called out and captivated by King Jesus. The church is a called out people captivated by King Jesus. Gathered around this person, this crucified, this risen, this ascended, this soon returning king... Church in the New Testament, especially as we look at the book of Acts, church is a movement. It's a people. It's not a place. As we think about movement, I mean, in Acts, the church looks like a hurricane. And it's just moving, and it's gathering motion and momentum, and it's growing, and it's going, and it's thriving. And at the epicenter of that hurricane is not some great preacher and his personality. At the epicenter of that hurricane is not this really incredible Sunday school teacher. At the epicenter of that hurricane is the resurrected King Jesus. That's who's at the epicenter of this hurricane force of the early church. This church is a gathered uh, movement with momentum and energy. And it's transforming. It's not a stagnant institution. It's It's not a building. It's a living thing. It's not just an organization. It's a thriving organism. And at the center of it all is the risen King Jesus. Todd Wagner writes in his book, Come and See, the church is supposed to provide others a picture of God's kingdom. See, the church is a visible picture of the rule and reign of God. He says the church is supposed to provide others a picture of God's kingdom, a glimpse of heaven on earth. It is not a place you're supposed to go. It is a people you are supposed to, who are supposed to be. 
And you can still experience what God intends His church to be when you see life change, grace, compassion, mercy, sharing, provision, warmth, and hope with a diligence to preserve the unity of spirit and the bond of peace. Aren't these at least small descriptions of heaven? Yes, they are. And instead of growing dimmer over the years, the church is supposed to be growing brighter day by day as we yield more and more to the Spirit's grace, power, and direction. Less of us, more of Him. I'd encourage you, uh, when somebody asks you, uh, when somebody says something like, oh, you have a beautiful church, say, really? Who'd you talk to? We've got, we got to overcome this idea that church is a place, that it's a destination. We have gathered today as the church, and we will scatter to go be the church, to go uh, participate in God's uh, mission all over this community, all over this world, and then we're going to gather again. So the risen Jesus has been teaching this 40-day period, and now is ready to ascend, and the disciples ask, so is now the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And they were right to be asking about the kingdom because Jesus has been talking to them about the kingdom of God. And they were right to ask about restoration because in their heart of hearts, in their soul of souls, they know that Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension means that something broken is being restored. But where they get it wrong is they're still thinking about the kingdom in terms of a political state. And they're thinking about the kingdom in terms of Israel's uh, boundaries and borders, and, and they're thinking of the kingdom in terms of, of a physical, political kingdom. And Jesus says, it's not for you to know times and seasons. He goes on to say, um, in 2,000 years, I'm going to raise up televangelists who's going to have all those answers for you, right? How could we miss the point so much? He says, don't worry about times and seasons, but you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you're going to receive power to be my witnesses. I was raised in an environment with a lot of, spe- there was just constant speculation about the end times. Constant speculation. Is this person the Antichrist? Is that person the Antichrist? Oh, we better watch this thing that happened on the news in the Middle East. That means the world's going to end and Christ is returning, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and there was all, you know, if, if we had, if we as a church What if we had spent half the energy we've spent trying to guess the end times and the end of the world and we'd invested that energy into doing what Jesus actually tells us to do here, which is cry out for the empowering presence of the Spirit of God and do the work that He left us to do. Be His witnesses home and to our neighbors and to our enemies and to the ends of the earth. Since the resurrection of Jesus, we've been living in the end times. All right? You don't have to watch the news. You don't have to, uh, I mean, watch the news, don't get me wrong, but you don't have to worry and panic about and try to put a puzzle together. He says, don't worry about all that. Be my witnesses, empowered by my spirit. He says, you will receive power. Verse um, 8, you will receive power. That word power is what, Jerry? Remember? Dunamis. Dunamis. Jerry did a great devo on that a while back. Dunamis. Dynamite. Where we get our word dynamite. Um, and, 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 and when he's talking about this kind of dynamite power, he's not just talking about somebody with a peppy personality, okay? That's, that, maybe that person just has a, an upbeat personality. He's talking about power that comes and empowers what was previously dead. He's talking about something deeper than personality. He's talking about what happens when something dead comes to life. We're talking about the Ezekiel's vision of the dry bones, the valley of the dry bones where everything's dead, then the Spirit of God puts those bones together and then enlivens them and makes a great army out of them. That's the kind of dunamis, Holy Spirit power 
that Acts is talking about here. Something dead coming to life. This is the Spirit of God writing God's Word on our hearts and empowering us to obey where before all we could do was disobey. This is an encounter with God in which the only way I can respond is, here I am, send me, I want to be part of what you're doing. I go from inability to obey, inability to change, inability to grow, inability to break free, inability to proclaim to the Spirit-empowered ability. And so we talk about Holy Spirit immersion so often like we're like scientists with lab coats describing, well, did you receive all of the Spirit when you came to Christ or is there more for you? And, 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 and man, the Holy Spirit's a person and He wants a relationship with you. And, and have you been, I mean, it's, we can argue and, and debate about what the Spirit baptism like means all day long, but it really comes down to like, have you been clothed with power from on high? And like, either you have or you haven't. Like, you know this answer or we don't, okay? And everybody else knows it. And I don't know anybody that says, you know, I've been, I've been clothed with all the power of the Holy Spirit that I need. Like, come on, cry out to God for His Spirit to do in you and in us and among us. Like, only what He can do. He's, he, earlier, He talked about, uh, you'll be baptized, immersed in the Holy Spirit. Now He says, you'll be my witnesses You'll receive power uh, when my spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses. Uh, that word power, it's a, this going from inability to ability. In Luke eleven thirteen, Jesus says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Man, if you're feeling needy, you're feeling weak, you're feeling tempted, you're feeling like, I'm just not overcoming, you're feeling like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do things on my own, he tells us to ask for this empowering presence of God's Spirit. He says you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that coming upon is a picture of being clothed and armored up and empowered, overwhelmed by, immersed in. And he says you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Maybe, maybe you've been around people and they maybe they do a bunch of crazy stuff, they do cartwheels down the, down the aisle, or they bark like dogs, or laugh hysterically, and they say, that's the, Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit. And, and maybe you say, well, man, if that's the Holy Spirit, I don't know about that. And, and, and sometimes maybe we see a lot of crazy manifestations of the Spirit, and you say, oh, I, I don't know. And, 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 and then maybe we say, well, I, I need to be scared of the Holy Spirit. Um, you know the craziest thing the Holy Spirit is going to do? I mean, crazier than crazy? is the, the Holy Spirit is going to take a dead sinner, a willful, rebellious sinner, and is going to make that sinner into a witness for the risen King. That's the craziest thing the Spirit of God does. That's the most central thing the Spirit of God does in your life. And so we need to be afraid of Him, because if the Holy Spirit overwhelms me, that means I'm not driving anymore. That means I'm not in charge of my life anymore. Um... And I am going to live different than those around me. But ultimately, the point of what the Holy Spirit does here is, is He makes us witnesses for the true King who sits on the true throne of the universe. Um, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Um, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. 
And, and, and if, if your life is not characterized by power over sin, over the flesh, if your life is not characterized by, by, by the power to, to take your broken story and, and, and share how Christ has woven His way through it, then cry out to God for the Spirit. Cry out for His Spirit to do in you what only His Spirit can. Cry out for Him to move and stir and overwhelm you. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. That's what it means to be a Christian. It means I bear witness to who He is and what He's done. You're going to bear witness um, in the things you say. And you're going to bear witness in the things you do. Did you know that you're bearing witness already? You are bearing witness to something that you ascribe glory to every day of your life. And so am I. We are all bearing witness to something that matters to us. But Jesus says when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we cease to bear witness about me, me, me. And we begin to bear witness with our lips and with our lives. We bear witness to one who's greater than us. The early church exploded due to spirit-empowered gospel proclamation from ordinary people. Ordinary people who were moved by the Spirit and began to tell people, this is what Jesus has done in my life. Well, that's why we pay a preacher, right? Don't want to do all that. Our job as we gather here is to be equipped, to be equipped to share what God has done with everybody we encounter. Being a witness means acknowledging that God has done something in you. Has God done something in, in, in you? Man, that was so exciting just now. Like, I'm, I really may need to lay down. I mean, <laughs> chill out, guys. Has God done anything in you? God, God's doing something in you, and, and He wants to do something through you. He's shown His glory to you and He wants to show His glory through you. And that's how this movement called the church grew in Acts and grew ever since. Ordinary people became empowered witnesses for Christ. And and ordinary people were able to say, you know what, this is how I've dropped the ball in my life. And man, this is how God met me with this incredible grace. This is, you know what, this is, this is how God stirred and moved and healed in me. This is how He is currently working in me. And, and you can be His witness in your life group. You can be His witness in your workplace. You may not stand before thousands. You may. I don't know. But we are called to be His witness. You know what, we're called to be His witness to our families, to our spouses, to our, to our children, to our parents, to our neighbors. And that involves talking the talk. Yes, that involves presenting and proclaiming the gospel. But it involves walking the walk. And by the Holy Spirit, He empowers us to be His witness as we walk the walk. And sometimes the way the Holy Spirit empowers me is to be able to say, you know what, I didn't walk the walk very well, will you please forgive me? That is gospel witness right there. Saturday I was at a meeting, and, and yesterday I was at a meeting, and Jim Rhodes, who joined our church last week, he shared a, just a beautiful story of how his family came to know Christ. And it was just, man, it was just such an image of, that's why, that's why we do campfire stories, just a little piece of just of sharing. This is what God has done to me and doing in me. And every now and then I'm in a conversation with people, and somebody will say, you know what, the government knows the cure to cancer. They just don't want to share it because big pharmaceuticals are making all this money. And that may be true, I have no idea. I mean, 
government doesn't do a great job of keeping secrets, so I don't know how they'd keep a lid on that, but, you know, maybe. A, a lot of people give the government a lot more credibility than I do, but maybe they know the, maybe they know the cure for cancer and they're not telling anybody. And, and I guess what I would say to you is, you got the cure to eternal damnation. You got the cure to meaningless life. You got the cure to sin. You've got the cure to the greatest problem that faces humanity. Have you told anybody? Man, if you had the cure for cancer, you wouldn't shut up about it, would you? I wouldn't. I'd be telling everybody. And we've got the cure for something a lot deeper than that. And the way that story moves forward is as you and your unique life story, your unique circumstances, you share with others what Christ has done in you. And you do that by the power of His empowering Holy Spirit. It's how the church grew then. It's how the church grows now. Not as an institution, not as a building, but as a movement where people are getting set free. Don't keep it to yourself. Don't keep the cure to yourself. He says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Samaria were the enemies, right? They, they, they didn't, the Jews hated the Samarians. And then there's the ends of the earth. Wherever your feet go, Back in the late 1700s, there was a meeting of Baptist leaders. Doesn't that sound fun? And, and uh, a young Baptist preacher stood up. He, he had freshly been ordained. And he stood up to argue for the importance and the value of overseas missions. Going overseas and doing missions. And he was interrupted by an older minister. The older minister said, young man, sit down. You are an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen, He'll do it without consulting you or me. That young man's name was William Carey. And in 1792, he organized his own missionary society. And at the inaugural meeting, he preached a sermon. And the, the call of the sermon was, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. The modern mission movement began. Carey and his family set sail for India. And he spent, the, he spent the next 40-something years there without a furlough. His wife lost her mind. He, their, their youngest child died of dysentery. He paid the price. And through all those years, he saw very few <laughs> um, people come to know Christ. A, a few hundred. But it didn't seem anywhere near the price that he paid. But the modern missions movement was born. Adoram Judson was influenced by him. Hudson Taylor and thousands became missionaries. Thousands became Christians, thousands, millions now have come to know Christ because he expected great things from God and attempted great things for God. Charles Spurgeon said to his congregation one Sunday morning, every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. Either we are a missionary or we're not a Christian. That doesn't mean you've got to go to the ends of the earth. Maybe you will. But God calls us to be missionaries here at home in our Jerusalem and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There is, that's what it means to be a Christian. But we don't do it on our own. We do it with this empowering presence of God's Spirit. And if I'm not sure if I've been clothed with power from on high, I probably haven't been. Okay? If I'm not sure if I've been immersed in the Spirit of God, I probably haven't been. And I probably need to be. God's big story continues to unfold through the risen king's spirit-empowered people.
Thank God that He doesn't call us to go be His witnesses through our good looks or through our smooth talk. But He calls us to do so by the empowering presence of His Spirit. And I know I can speak for myself, and I think I can probably speak for most of us. We've got this thing about wanting to do everything in our own power. And Jesus tells His disciples, wait for the promise of the Father. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And as we, as the band comes up and we enter into this invitation time, the thing I would just invite us to pray for is, Holy Spirit, ask Him. Overwhelm me. Will you overwhelm me? Will you immerse me? Will you baptize me? I'm not talking about any specific outward sign. Maybe, maybe you'll get up and run around the room. Maybe you'll speak in tongues. I'm not, I don't know. But you know what really is going to happen? You know the most important thing that's going to happen? Is that you will be his witness in Sweetwater and in Nolan County and in Texas and wherever your feet are.